good afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 67 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm Hannah Flint. And I'm Amon Woman. This week we're in for a sexual revolution with good luck to you Leo Grande while Amon spoke to its stars Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormack. We go to infinity and beyond with Pixar's Lightyear. Seek pleasure with Nina Tyberg's startling debut, and get experimented on by Chris Hemsworth in Netflix's Spiderhead. And in our hot take, J.J. Abrams, Mark Ruffalo, and Julianne Moore were among those who signed an open letter urging Hollywood to reconsider how guns are depicted on screen. We dig into that subject. So before we get into reviews, though, how has everyone's week? How how is everyone doing? Welcome back to the UK, Anna. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Thank you uh, for bringing yeah. the sun back with you. It has been very hot this week. My goodness. God, it has been crazy hot, like just obnoxiously hot. <laughs> I also, I always find that when I've been away on holiday, when it's sun, sunny back home, I'm like, oh no, I've done with that. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm staying in. <laughs> I don't need that anymore. I don't need that anymore in my life. Uh, but yeah, it's been. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that when you go on holiday and as a freelancer as well, it's really hard to take time off to not work. And I tried to do that. And then I got back. I was like, oh, no, there's still work. <laughs> there's yeah. still work I have to get done. Damn. <laughs> do either of you get hay fever? Not really that much. No. But you get it pretty badly, don't you? I do. Yeah. Consider yourselves very lucky. So none of you guys have hay fever. None of you guys have any food allergies. Is that right? Yeah. No. I'm so jealous. I've got asthma though, so there's that. I mean, I I could die from not breathing, but you know, <laughs> that's um, my allergy, <laughs> dust. <laughs> Clarice, you're just no, no allergies, no asthma, no hay fever. You just just living the I best mean, life, aren't you? Well, I've got other stuff, but we can talk about it. <laughs> Last week, you told me to ask you this question. This week, how goes your Game of Thrones watch? Oh, I still haven't. For goodness' sake, Clarice. It's too much. It's too much TV. I've been watching Stranger Things. Oh, okay, on, that's good. I want to be on top of the Stranger Things stuff. <laughs> well, um, can I say that I have officially completed Lego Star Wars? Hey! But, but can I just say? <laughs> Uh, it's not officially over because I might have completed the levels, but now I have to do all the side oh missions and then the bonus levels. <laughs> Completionist. Like, this is what the beauty of this these games are. It's like, you think it's over, but it's never over. <laughs> but what I really liked is that I can't... So what, the way you play it, like, each... There's, like, each... Air, there's, like, each of the nine films are represented part of, like, the legacy. The episodes are represented. So you go into each... Well, so you can either start off with, like... The original trilogy or then the prequels or that way but I did it like the way they were released because I thought that'd be fun mm. but now I realize like oh I did The Last Jedi which was amazing I was like oh god it's so good it's so good and you're like oh no now it's Rise of Skywalker what's sad note to end on but it also I like it because it does take the piss like it's so it like really says like, we don't give a shit about the IP like it, I like the way it like no <laughs> now let's Chewie get a medal <laughs> <laughs> he's always like trying to get a man. It's like no better for you <laughs> and there's a whole joke about like uh, Kylo Ren and not wearing shirts <laughs> it's, just, it's so good I love it I highly, highly recommend it although I do think it's a little bit glitchy I will say this uh, uh, 
Lego Super, uh, Lego Star Wars <laughs> creators. Sort the glitches out, please. Did you get the, because then you have the DLCs as well, don't you? The Mandalorian. Yes, yes. I know what that means now. <laughs> Downloadable <laughs> content, yeah. Yeah, I did that for the Lego Marvel Superhero 2. And I got the download of a card. But it's like, it's weird though, because it's not really part of the game. So even when you do it, it's like, oh, I've completed it. But it's not really like part of the na- like the narrative that you're on that continues. Whereas if no. you do like the Lego Marvel superheroes, they do this thing. Sorry, this is so... <laughs> for all the Lego Marvel people <laughs> out there. But like for, you, for Lego Marvel superheroes 1 and 2, they create this like, the bonus levels are through dead, uh, like Deadpool and then Gwenpool. So, like, you do these bonus levels that are narrated by them, but you also have to complete other stuff to be able to get into those levels. So it kind of feels like it's organically part of, of the net script, whereas the downloadable content is just like an add-on. So it's like, hey, here's an extra level to play, which is nothing to do with anything else because you've already completed it. Um, but, yeah. In case you're wondering, listeners, this episode is indeed sponsored by Lego. Nintendo Switch! <laughs> Actually, when I did my interview with um, uh, Mamadou Achi and Jeff Goldblum, I mentioned like the Lego Jurassic World because, of course, I did. <laughs> and then, like, Mamadou was like, "Do you game?" And I was like, "I switch." <laughs> you know, you're like, "I can I call myself a gamer?" Like, it's like okay, but it made me realize that Mamadou is a gamer. He games. So there you go. Fun fact. Nice. So let's uh, let's start off with the first film on our docket, which is. Good luck to you, Leo Grande. I'm Leo. You must be Nancy. May I come inside? Yes. So I've made a list of things that I'd like to get through. Number one, uh, I perform oral sex on you. Number two, you perform oral sex on me. Number three, we do a 69, if that's what it's still called. Um, Four, me on top. Five, doggy style. That all sounds very achievable. Have I booked enough time? You, you want to do it all today? <laughs> yes. No. Sex bomb, sex bomb. You're a sex bomb. Baby, you can turn me on. So, yes, we're talking about Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, which stars Emma Thompson as a retired teacher and widow Nancy Stokes. She hires handsome sex worker Leo Grande, played by Daniel McCormack, to help her achieve the sexual fulfillment long missing from her marriage. Over several meetings, Leo aids Nancy in working through her anxieties to find satisfaction while also trying to keep up conjugal appearances. This is directed by Sophie Hyde, written by Katie Brown, and also stars Isabella Laughlin. So yes, I spoke to Dal McCormack and Dame Emma Thompson when they came into London a few weeks ago. Uh, it was an in-person interview. Lots and lots of fun. Um, Dame Emma Thompson. The way you said that, it's like in-person interview. Yeah. It's like, oh, in a hotel room. Mm. <laughs> it was. Does, does life, does art imitate life? Life imitate <laughs> oh art. Oh my eh? gosh, you haven't. Learn anything new, Amon. I will say this, Dame Emma Thompson hugged me twice and I'm still feeling pretty good about it. That was pretty cool. <laughs> She, she, my mind went to a very, very of course it did of course it did she's a very good hugger I'll say that much and she's also a very good interviewee both of them are had a really good time talking about this film uh, because as we're about to get into I think the film is pretty great so here is that chat with me Emma Thompson and Dal McCormack welcome to the Faith Black Podcast Emma Thompson and Dal McCormack how you doing thank you so Hello. much Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you here. Uh, we are here to talk about Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, which 
for me, is one of the best films that I've seen so far this year. So first and foremost, congratulations. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Ooh, that's um, thrilling. <laughs> what were your initial reactions when you first read the script? Mm. Well, I think I was very excited by the limitations of the piece, um, how it was kind of restricted to one room. And I thought the scope of where they go, kind of the emotional landscape that they go, they travel, you know, very far um, and they leave that room different people. Um, that was my most exciting thing when, once I read it, um, was that possibility. And I just thought that it opened up um, so many areas of women's lives and so many... Um, questions and so much interesting stuff about pleasure and shame about pleasure and sexual shyness and how do you access your own body even mm. Nancy's so been so sort of starved really um but also she's never really been honest about her attitudes to her job, her children, her marriage, her mm. situation in life. And as she says to Leo at the end, you're the only adventure I've ever had, the only freedom. Mm. So it, it just spoke to me on so many levels <laughs> about women's experience. Mm. Absolutely. I've heard actors say that when they read a role and it scares them, that's when they know they have to take it. Was this very much one of those times? Oh, yeah, for me, mm. yeah, for me, yeah. Yeah, and not, not for me as so much. I mean, I felt really comfortable just coming in and doing a two-hander with someone like Emma, you know, something I do kind of most projects. So <laughs> Absolutely. I, w I was very much... This is yeah. just one of them. <laughs> no, I get that. Is there a difference between a scary role that you don't take and a scary role that you do take? Have you ever turned down anything, not in the realms of this, but in terms of something that's been, whoa, should I do this? And, and you haven't uh, gone through with it in the end. Um, not really. I mean, I've turned down things I thought were boring. Mm. Um, and I, I would often, if I got a script saying, a beautiful woman walks into a room, i go, well, I can't do that because I didn't have that kind of confidence. Did you ever have that? Um, with regards to... Well, like getting a script and thinking, no, I can't embody that. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen roles where I just, I'm honest with myself and I'm like, that's not me, that's not my walk of life. Because mm -hmm. I think I respect when those roles are brought to life by people who have something in their life to add to it, you know. Mm. I think that's the authenticity that we look for when we when we see characters in their journey. So there's been times, yeah, I've I've been reading things, I'm like, I'm really not right for this and you just part ways with it. Right, right. Mm. So what was your initial reaction to meeting each other for the first time? Well, um I w opened my front door to find this very tall, gentle young man standing before me and we um i put my big walking boots on and we just trotted off didn't we mm. and we went for a long couple of hours walk yeah. on the muddy heath slipping and sliding <clears throat> and just talking about um these two characters and and the movie and talking about how um deep we were going to have to go and how much we were going to have to trust one another and mm. i um realized that i was talking to somebody who was a very profound thinker and and not um intimidated or at least it didn't feel like you were by mm. by anything by the size of the role or by uh, you know suddenly having to sort of play opposite someone 
a great deal older and more experienced. Mm. You know, that's that was the thing. But then I remembered my own experiences with people like Tony Hopkins and Vanessa Redgrave when I was 30 and, and coming in and being so welcomed. I thought, well, you know, it's, we're just actors mm. doing a job. And they were so humble and gracious and helpful to me. And I learned so much from them. And I thought, well, so it's fine, mm. you know. Mm. I didn't have to feel like I needed to sort of not be me. Mm-hmm. But because uh, I knew you, you were ready. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. yeah, I think for me, there was a great level of excitement when I met Emma, but not just about the project, but also about how close I started to feel to her straight away in terms of the the aim to try and bring these people to life. We, we seemed really focused on these two people and um, our conversations were just lining up very much we were very much approaching it, you know, at least as actors-wise, what what the task at hand was. So that felt very exciting. Um, and yeah, I definitely felt welcomed by Emma and and I guess respected and, and I didn't feel like I had to prove anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was all the front. It was all the front. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> I know you guys shot this movie chronologically. Uh, how helpful was that in your work on this film to do it that way? Massively helpful. Mm. I don't think we could have done it. Honestly, you couldn't Oof. have done it any other way. No. We were we were sort of grateful on a daily basis, weren't we, yeah. that we were doing it chronologically. Yeah. I mean, luckily, <clears throat> there's no big change. You know, there's just us in a room. Mm. So there was no reason not to shoot it chronologically. But I actually think it would have been mentally impossible. Yeah. Because, you know, the journey's so complex. The di- dives are so deep. Mm. You couldn't have then gone back and said, well, has yeah. that happened? Or was that happening? Yeah. You know, we, it just, no. That's yeah. something that I'm always endlessly impressed by, an actor's ability to keep track of their emotional state, yes. the character, as they're shooting all these things out of sequence. I mean, I assume chronologically is something that you'd like to do for more films, mm. right? Yeah, I mean, I love shooting chronologically. I think it, it definitely kind of puts my anxiety at ease, you know, and, and takes one thing off of having to think about. But I felt like the intensity of... of the piece being between two people back and forth, that emotional journey, it would have been too much to ask for us to just jump all over the place because I think that's really thought through and well written by um, Katie Brand. So I think, Mm. yeah, it felt it was the only way to to make it. Absolutely. And further to that, I I can see a version of this screenplay in which it's taking place in different rooms. Uh, the fact that this is taking place in one room, I'm sure, was also massively helpful for you, for you, for you guys, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's true. She could have. That's an interesting oh, yeah, notion, actually, because mm. you, you, you know, in her the second thing, he says, you know, well, this is a surprise, and she says, no, I've booked the same room because I didn't want any right. surprises, mm. and and that's just Nancy's anxiety. You know, she thinks I can't go with the bed being in a different something. place. Yeah, yeah. I have to be in control of something. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point. It would have been very different in different rooms. Mm. That's very true, actually, isn't it? Just of life in general. If you're in a different room, mm-hmm. different I think it's something happen. about safety as well, or familiarity. Like I think mm. there's something about Nancy probably needing certain elements of familiarity, considering what she was doing was so unfamiliar to her. So um, 
I don't know if that was an intended choice by Katie, but um, oh, it must have been if she wrote, yeah, yeah, she did, yes, yeah, yeah, because she's intended. yes, absolutely, but also it was cheaper mm. than <laughs> having four <laughs> different sets. Yeah, we couldn't have afforded too. it, um, frankly. Yeah, there's that too. Well, it works perfectly for the film. Uh, Daryl, I know you talked to sex workers before you started shooting this. What sort of questions were you asking them to help better understand your character? Mm. I guess it was less questions or like less kind of, it was more a discussion. It was more I wanted to just be open ears to, to hear their story, to hear maybe how they made their way in, what the experience was for them. Um, because I didn't know what were the right questions to ask. I just, I knew we had an, an incredible um, group of sex workers that we spoke to, a handful of them. And, and uh, I was just so keen to just, soak in anything that they can offer and that they were so you know i feel so grateful that they they could because that's a really i think can be a personal decision and also a part of their life so um it was more a, a conversation that um that i let them take the lead and you know have you gotten any feedback from them on the film no actually i don't know but some of them were australian i think or there was one or two that were australian because mm -hmm. our so our director sophie hyde is australian and uh, I know we go to Australia soon um, with, the, yeah, with the film. So hopefully, who knows? I mean, but um, hopefully if they see the film when they release them, you know, I don't know what they'll take. You know, that was another thing. I didn't want to put the responsibility of representing a massive body uh, of sex workers on my shoulders. You know, I very much just wanted to meet people that I felt were aligned with with Leo and then and hopefully carry elements of their spirit into him mm. um, that I've you know I was just inspired by so 100% 100% so I know that this was shot over 19 days which is intense can you compare with me the feeling uh, the action is called on set for the first time and then compare that feeling with cut on the final day mm. what were you guys feeling in those moments um well, we started on you inside the room, I think. Yes, that's right. So I was feeling much like Nancy, a bit unsure, a bit frightened, a bit, okay, now we start. Mm. You know, the doors, there's going to be a knock on the door in a minute, and then we're into it. Mm. You know, it, it, it's a kind, it was a kind of prelim, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And when um, 19 days later, we, we said, cut, we, it was really powerful wasn't it when we actually mm. stopped because we just yeah, we just were oh my god we were just you mean we can't be here anymore doing this thing anymore and we've been such a long way with these people and we've got to let them go mm. um it was actually um quite painful mm. yeah i i think that the moment in which leo and nancy are saying goodbye to each other mm. me and emma very much realized that our time at least on set with this project had come to an end and I think we've bonded so much as people alongside as actors that that was kind of hard you know because we did love every day coming to work and <clears throat> trying to make this and I think naturally just having to rely on one another we just grew closer and closer so mm. yeah and the journey to making them come alive was yeah. just <laughs> it was so much fun and so fascinating you know it was just so engaging mm -hmm. And you can't give that up easily. It's just hard to, to, to feel it stopping. Mm. Yeah. You know. Mm. I bet that. I wanted to talk about the final shot of the film, which is incredible for many reasons, but 
a big part of that is because Nancy is looking at herself without judgment, which is very, very powerful. I assume that's the last thing that you shot, given that this movie is shot chronologically. So you've been assumedly thinking about that scene for a while. What was, what was your thought process just in, in terms of how you're going to play that moment on a facial level? Because you, it feels like you're going through a lot in those final few seconds. Mm. It's a good question. Um, well, obviously, that was a moment that I didn't have Daryl, so I didn't have my kind of constant companion with me. It was Nancy on her own. Mm. So I relied a lot on Sophie um, because Sophie had to keep me safe. Right. She had to make sure that I felt safe mm -hmm. um, just standing there and dropping mm -hmm. the robe to the floor, which was um, very hard mm -hmm. to do. Um, but I really wanted um, to present a woman looking at herself, yes, without judgment, but also um, owning her body in some way. Uh, uh, somehow the, the gift that Leo's given her, which is why she smiles, is, is her own body. Mm -hmm. He gave it to her. It's like a kind of birth, you know. He's sort of mothered her in a way, weird way. And um, uh, it's incredibly mm. moving to me that that this young man, with his compassion and his extraordinary perspicacity and and his ability to 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 read people, because you know when you're reading people people's sexual mood, it, it's so intimate and yet so revealing. And he's learnt so much about her, and he hasn't judged her, her stupidity and her her blindness and her blind spots and her assumptions and her um, her sort of occasional bigotry. You know, she's <laughs> she's she's a complex and irritating woman often, mm. but she's also trying mm. to be honest. You know, and Leo and she she really apologizes properly you know the, the thing of meeting and saying I only wanted to say I'm sorry and to see that you were okay and to say thank you for what you've done for me mm -hmm. I mean it's it's so beautiful mm. and touching yeah. you know, so all of that is in the end of, of, of the movie but when she's on her own it's just there's a moment of pure gratitude I think absolutely absolutely Part of the reason why I love Nancy's arc in this, she's done what's, ex what's expected of her for so long. And this is doing an unexpected thing for herself, which I love. And I feel like we can apply that to your career in some respects because it doesn't feel like you've ever been pigeonholed, that you've done the expected thing. How conscious have you been of that in your career? And I guess this is another thing that's unexpected for you. I think it's probably it was probably not conscious in the sense of I mustn't do mm. the expected thing now. Mm. Um, I, you can't think that way because then you'll just do things for the wrong reasons. Right. You have to do things. So naturally, I suppose, I've just been drawn to a different thing, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. So you just get drawn to doing something different, whereas some people quite, quite rightly and perfectly um, validly choose to repeat things mm -hmm. i mean you know think about someone like stallone who invented yeah. the franchise yes, yeah. and repeated things mm -hmm. for the first time he was the first one you know mm -hmm. and he knew that that was what he was there to do mm -hmm. and he did it very very well and so there's no there's no marvelousness about it it's just the way i like to work is i n need to do something different in order to stretch myself a mm -hmm. bit mm -hmm. you know that's how i like to work yeah and i learned a lot from this absolutely and Dal. Uh, I'm not going to say that you're totally new to this, but you're, I guess, closer to the start than you are to the finish of your yeah. career. Have you begun to think about 
those career choices or you just uh, you know saying seeing what's out there seeing what you like and then going for it yeah I think this experience gave me such a good foundation of what it means to when a character demands a lot of you and and when you give a lot of yourself to a character mm-hmm. and I think the process is just way more rewarding mm-hmm. so I mean the hope is really just to to continue to try and work in that in that integrity hopefully and and to seek out roles that really do ask something of me you know mm-hmm. um, because this experience felt so rewarding in that sense you know I'll never mm-hmm. look back and just say like that you know I'll never look back and regret this ever I just mm-hmm. it used so much of me and and that would be a wish of mine just to feel like I'm as engaged in other projects but I think that'll be Sometimes ask. we have to do things yeah, for money. It'll be a big That's ask, the other thing, isn't it? This has definitely given me such a a nice start in some sense. Mm. I, long, I long for the interview in 30 years' time. We say, yeah, uh, let's talk about good math. luck to you. Really. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just saying, interview. So, Sir Darrell, um, now you're coming towards the end of your career. Is there anything you really regret? Well, I made a movie in Norwich once. <laughs> I just heard <laughs> <laughs> I just had this vision. I just, this is a bit of a youthful mistake. You know, youthful high spirits. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Swiftly. Um, Dal, I've heard that you missed out on Star Wars, but you were okay with it because you didn't feel ready at the time. Do you feel more ready for those types of films off the back of this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm lucky in that sense that, yeah, I... I I couldn't imagine that felt like it would have been catastrophic <laughs> for my I was only 21 or something you know I really hadn't done the growing up that I, I've done over the last eight years and mm-hmm. I think it's a real blessing actually to have found a real sense of yourself before getting into this industry because it can ask a lot of you um, so I feel really grateful that that didn't happen um, mm-hmm. but yeah of course I mean scale for me is not something I, I pick and choose it's really just a story if there's a story there that falls into a small or bigger scale um, it's it's all good but yeah just story and character is my main 100%. thing yeah a uh, couple of non Leo Grand questions before I let you go mm-hmm. Emma one of the best examples of a person living their best life is you mm-hmm. in an audience with Adele <laughs> <laughs> Every time that comes up on my timeline, I can't help but smile and laugh. It is a source of joy for me and many others. So first and foremost, just thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. And the question that you asked Adele on that night was, who inspired you when you were younger? So, Emma Thompson, who inspired you when you were younger? Well, she was being asked about when she was little and at school, and I had the most wonderful school teacher when I was about eight nine at, at primary school called Mr. Ray. He was an Indian and he was just, um, he, he he was so inspiring because he was so dignified and so enthusiastic at the same time. He was so kind to us. I really recognise the fact that he, he saw us as people and mm. not as elements that had to be controlled in a classroom mm-hmm. you know he was a deeply humane and intelligent man um who that went on to become a head teacher and we kept in touch he's dead now though sadly um but he was just wonderful and i think that when you're little it's fine it's obviously it's wonderful if you have parents who believe in you sometimes if they don't believe in you you have more self-belief actually um but whoever sees you always helps you 
to develop and always helps you to define yourself and find ways of of telling your story. Absolutely. Um, I believe next up for you is Matilda the Musical, which I'm very, very excited for. I believe you're filming it now, actually. I filmed uh, it, finished it. Oh, you finished it? <laughs> I went straight on from, from Leo to wow. straight on to set as Trunchbull. So I went from <laughs> Nancy to Trunchbull. Wow. Yeah, it was that, kind of weird. That is a shift. It was shape-shifting, <laughs> big time, yeah. How are you finding the singing aspect of it all? Oh, you know, it's fine! <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I I'm going to call that an exclusive preview <laughs> of Matilda the Musical. No, it's so not. No, 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 no. She doesn't sound like that. No, she really doesn't. Now, I, I, love, I love doing music anyway. I just love mm. it. So, you know, that's why I loved dancing at Adele's. I love dancing and I love music. So cool. it's just a great joy. Fantastic. Well, hype to see that. And, yeah, I hope I enjoy it as much as I enjoyed this film because it's fantastic. Emma Thompson, Dan McCormack, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you very much. You. It's lovely oh. to be here. So sex stories in Hollywood movies are nothing new. What do you think, good luck to you, Leo Grand, as to the table? in this regard. Uh, Hannah, let's start with you. Yeah, um, I feel like, you know, this is kind of, well, the whole story is about how she's wanting to achieve an orgasm, which is like, feels like such a youthful, like first time, like coming of age sort of, nar- sort of like narrative, which normally you have teenagers, you know, having sex and all that. So the idea that you're having a middle-aged woman um, of meeting a sex worker to try and like tick off a list of things that she wants to achieve, that is quite refreshing. Um, perspective to have and also just like realistic as well because I think there's this you know so often in cinema where we see like orgasms and some of that it's so much been dominated from this like male perspective most people watching films don't really get to see women climax or only in late I would say only in the last like 10 years or 20 years or so we've really seen an increase in that with a focus like there's this there's this thing called the clip test where it kind of like shows you how often like, like the Bechdel test, but like how often do women get to orgasm or like experience these things? So like, I felt like it was really, you know, I think that was a quite important place to be at in cinema and have that for, and I feel like Emma Thompson, you know, like could not ask for a better person to be like encapsulate this kind of very vulnerable woman who's like a, I suppose like a, the character of Nancy is, you know, load of contradictions in how it is and then having that narrative of first time then also bringing the sex work storyline in a way that feels very sex positive again you know could you do this the other way around with an older man and a younger woman I don't know if you can Mm -hmm. but in a way I'm glad that you're kind of you're able to do it this way because I feel like this is a story that we do need and it should hopefully you know, open up a wider conversations to people have at home to talk about their own sexual pleasure. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agree. I think part of the reason why this film works so well is because of how it's structured. We see Nancy over three to four meetings with Leo Grand become more open, become less uptight and, you know, worrisome about the situation she finds herself in, even though it's a situation of her own making and, in many respects, and the chemistry between uh, Emma Thompson and Darren McCormack as those meetings develop, I thought was just sensational. Clarice, what do you make of the structure of the film and the chemistry between those two? This, 
Yeah, I think it's so crucial for this movie for it to feel, for there to be an equality in both, the, I guess, the, the performance and in the writing of the characters. Because I think, like, it would have been really easy for this movie to have just been so focused on Nancy and, like, yeah, this, like, older woman's, like, coming to, you know, is uh, learning to embrace her body and her sexuality. And great, that would have been great, but I think for it to actually show a development on both sides of that relationship to be like okay yes it's about that but it's also so much about how she views leo grande and um i think as as well like to be sort of quite critical about her that she comes into this situation thinking oh look i have very progressive views on sex work you know like there's a thing about what she talks about uh setting her pupils an essay about should sex work be made legal and it's like although the moral issues remain up for the day um up for debate (laughs) uh the sex work should be legalized to you know to provide safety and it's like it's this really sort of like bland like detached answer where it's like oh i can be really progressive but i don't really have to think about it or think about the fact that sex workers are real people (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i think like actually having a movie where she has to confront that fact of like there's this guy and he's a sex worker and he is proud of his work and he wants to be doing what he's doing and she at first like kind of struggles with that and there's a a moment where she she sort of crosses the line a a little bit Mm. because she's so obsessed with the idea of like oh my god what's wrong with him like has he been trafficked like am i exploiting him like and i think for them both mutually to have a journey together where they both come out of it like with a greater understanding of each other is the like that for me is the reason why this movie works Uh it's not about the sort of one-sided journey that she takes Mm. Uh it's still i would say it's still a bit more like weighs more on her side of 100%. things. 100%. Because I will say, I, I love this film. I do think it ties things up a little bit too neatly. And actually, you know, there is something that could have been said. I'm glad it's not like, uh, you know, this is an older white woman versus like a biracial young man. It's a transactional situation. So there's a power dynamic there that I don't think has been... It touches on it, but I think it kind of... It ties things up neatly for Nancy at the expense of, like, really that underlying interrogation where it's, like, for uh, Leo Grande. But, like, at least it avoids, avoids, like, cliches, like the racial cliches that could have been easily done here, like, exoticizing him. And I think part of that is the way they set up the space mm. because it's, like, this bland hotel room. <laughs> Everything's beige. Everything looks... And it's, like, there's no, like, erotic energy in the room. And even the way they shoot it in the way... There's obviously certain moments where it does feel quite, like, sensual and sexual. But I like the fact that it's not trying to, like, you know, exoticize or fetishize, like, this situation. Because fundamentally, this is a kind of, like, an educational experience and, like, a sensual, ed- sensual education, really, isn't it? So there is a kind of, like, learning things and learning about yourself that's not about objectifying either one of them. And I think that kind of kind of works in a way. But I think you're right, Clarice, like, you know, this kind of balance of, like, her being liberally minded but sexually conservative, like, her mother knows best, like, the generational issues here. I feel like these are conversations that you, you kind of want to have with people who are like Nancy. Like, your parents are, like, people who are, like, making rules and stuff who think they know best. And it's 
this is like the actual like safe space. It's cre- they've created this really safe space, even though like some of the moments they do, you know, it, she brings danger into it a bit. Uh, fundamentally, it ends up being this safe space where all these ideas and conversations can be had without, you know, even when she tries to bl- like blit him, you're never really on her side when she says that. That's what I really like as well. It's anytime she goes over the line, you're like, no, Nancy, you need to stop <laughs> and chill the fuck out. Indeed, indeed. Um, I wanted to focus a bit on the Emma Thompson of it all because I do think that she is just absolutely phenomenal in this. A role unlike any she's ever had. She's spoken a lot about how she felt in taking this on. She's spoken a lot about how, uh, given the role that she was playing, you know, this, this is she's. Other people at, at her age would take pens to hide what their body is doing naturally in terms of plastic surgery and stuff. And she is, she hasn't done that. And it all leads to a very, very powerful final shot in this film, which I'm not going to spoil. Suffice to say, it's an incredible performance. And I think what she's doing just on a facial reaction level in this film is incredible. Um, I think it's Oscar worthy. I do think it's that good. I mean, she gives us everything. I, I mean, the one thing I will say, you know, as much as you can say about like, I think it's very, I think it's a, it's a lot of complicated baggage that women have when it comes to their bodies, especially when they're on the screen. So I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to overly criticize or, you know, people who do exercises or get plastic surgery for stuff like that when you're basically in a world where you're forced to do it. So like the idea that, Emma Thompson hasn't done that and I think that, that's great but I also feel like I don't want it to be like a I don't, I, I think it's, it can be uncomfortable if you're trying to compare it in that way yeah, that's fair. do you know what I mean and so for me like you know this the powerfulness isn't that it's about like her, like the ability to have these conversations and bring her what, what I feel like you know she's an amazing screenwriter as well I feel like you can tell that she really got her like claws into this character and made it feel like it was just an extension of who she was. Like, I believed it. Like, I believed her and the way she acts and all this. You know, even her characters, if you see her in interviews and stuff like that, there is something about Emma Thompson that is in Nancy more than I've ever seen every other role. Mm. So that's why I feel like, I think it's like the personal that she brings to it that I think was quite mesmerizing. Um, And I think, again, yes, it's, you know, I always think as well, like, people don't like, you know, the idea of playing a... Because there is a villain element, in a way, to Nancy. Not that she is, but there's... I feel sometimes it's like, you know, people wanting to present themselves in a certain type of characters they want to do or not. Now, obviously, like, she's about to play Trunchbull, so she doesn't mind playing mm. a villain. But I think when she you... just a villain in Cruella. Yeah, but, like, when you have a villain where it's, like... Where it's not obvious, where, like you think your ideas, do you know what I mean? You you don't realise that the ideas could be perpetuating a really negative thing in the world. I think it's a really interesting situation there. Do you get what I mean? Clarice, do you know what I mean? Like, some of the stuff that she says is, re- is really quite problematic. In, yeah. In, but it's like an example of the banality of, like, <laughs> problematic sex, sex talk. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's like, look, even in Corello or whatever she was still playing that there's that that very like typical emma thompson like flummoxedness that we all find really charming and we all love and i think like that's often and that's not you know that's often the sort of roles that she gets cast in and i think what was interesting here is that there was an element of that and there was a lot of the emma thompson that we 
uh, know and love, but there was, yeah, there's an edge to it as well, which felt like a little dev, not that she's never done it before, but not necessarily what we're used to seeing in an Emma Thompson role. There's kind of harshness to it that comes out in moments where, as you said, yeah, she says certain things and you're like, oh, okay, God. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Nancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also like her relationship with her children. Like, this is, and I think this is about the script, isn't it, though, as well? Because, like, it's sometimes some of the things that she says, the way she's like, and, like, I think in a way, like, she, you know, um, Daryl McCormick as, like, kind of the receptacle to, like, her, these ideas. Like, he's like us. He's, we're, we're him. Mm. We're Leo. Like, kind of, rich, like, experiencing the kind of her saying stuff. So the stuff she says about, like, her kids and stuff, you're like, God, Nancy, like, you know, you kind of, and the, hypocr- the hypocrisy, I think, that exists within Nancy. And I think it's really good that you, that it comes through in very nuanced, like, one lines here and there, but then you just have Leo's reaction to it. And it's like, and she kind of, kind of calls her out in a way that would any slanging match wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? The simplicity of that and the calming presence that kind of, like, he's, it, I just think that was just really magical, the way they did that, where it wasn't judge, it wasn't judgmental, but it was, like, a little bit, like, Let's let's reassess, let's think about this. Think about that again. Say that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, the non-judgmental uh, of of the film is a very very important point that really comes through. And I think you're totally right about the calming presence that Dal McCormack's Leo Grant brings to everything. Just a really good, mature, sex-positive two-hander that I cannot recommend highly enough. Which sort of probably gives away um, <laughs> my upcoming thoughts on our screen stream or skip recommendations but let's get this confirmed Clarice a screen Hello. screen and it's a screen for me as well we didn't actually mention that the long takes really serve the film as well and the fact that they sort of really really know that I think this is a good film let's say that um, trust us yes from the bedroom to space it's time to talk Lightyear. Ready, Captain Lightyear? Ready as I'll ever be, Commander Hawthorne. This is exciting. A new adventure. I'm going to grant you four minutes to be off planet, but then you come right back to us. To infinity. And beyond. You are clear for hyperlaunch. Beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. Buzz, that was utterly terrifying, and I regret having joined you. Ground control to major buzz. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Guys, if you didn't know what the origin story for Buzz Lightyear was, well, don't worry, because we've got it. (laughs) Because the toy that Andy has in Toy Story, he's actually from a film. (laughs) It wasn't just a made-up fictional thing. It's not like Barbie, you know, (laughs) Buzz Lightyear. He was based on a film, and that film is a story that we see. Well, I say we, these two see. <laughs> I didn't see it, so they can tell you. But basically, it introduces the legendary space ranger who would win generations of fans, and we've grown to love. It was originally voiced by Tim Allen, but as he's the toy and not the film character or the actor playing the character, we it kind of explains away why Chris Evans has now lent his voice to Buzz as he embarks on an intergalactic adventure alongside ambitious recruits Izzy, Moe, Darby and his robot companion, Socks. Directed by Angus McLean, it stars 
our fave Chris Evans. And if you haven't watched his puppy interview yet, please do. <laughs> uh, also, Kiki Palmer, Peter Song, James Brolin, and Clarice's all-time hero, Taika Waititi. <laughs> so, I will come to you first, Clarice. Um, so, how, how, how do we... How do we is this just a cash grab or to expand, extend, expand, extend, <laughs> extend? I didn't extend and expand, and I should have said expand. Uh, to expand uh, the Toy Story universe, or is it worth? Uh, has it been worth the millions put into it? I mean, it, I. It doesn't feel as much like a cash grab as I thought it was going to, because the premise is sort of ridiculous. Um, but it feels more like Lightyear is like just a separate original sci-fi story that they're like, oh, crap, let's like slap the Lightyear label on it <laughs> so that we can sell it and that, you know, we can make money with it. Because I think this you is mean the, like Joker. Like, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, maybe this is Pixar's Joker. Because I think that's always been the tension with Pixar is that like it, it's a group, it's a studio filled with like incredibly creative and imaginative people. But ultimately they still answer to Disney and they still answer to a massive corporate structure. So it's like for every Luca they make, like someone's knocking on the door being like, make us money, bitch. <laughs> so I make feel Luca like... too. So I feel like Lightyear is them being like, crap, we have to make money. (laughs) And so it is, yeah, it is, it's more cars than it is Ratatouille. (laughs) But I don't think, I mean, there's been lots of people saying this is a complete and disaster. I don't think it is. I think it like functions totally fine. It's like, as just as an animated movie, it was fun. I laughed a little bit. I thought the story was quite nice. It's just, it's not going to compare to the other Pixar movies that you love, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. The one-star reviews that I've seen for this um, are total nonsense, in my opinion. I had a good time with it. Um, you know, I've never been the biggest Buzz Lightyear fan, um, but I liked what they had to say about uh, his character in this film. I especially liked how they deepened the meaning behind to infinity and beyond in the toy story films that's just been like you know a fun catchphrase here there's genuine meaning to it and it means a lot of different things as the movie progresses i really like what they did with that one with that line especially so but do we understand that like buzz lightyear in toy story has a personality that's different to the character like what it it is that the toy character that's what he acts like tim allen's version of him or is there is it Chris Evans having to do a version of that Buzz Lightyear? Do you get what I mean? It's like what is the actual character playing, and what is the Toy Story who's based on the character? Has never seen the film, but like it's just painted, so he just thinks he's that character. Does that make sense, or is that too like mind whirly? So I did. I don't know if I did. I so I did some interviews for this. I can't remember whether this was in the interviews or some other thing that they were they were kind of taught. Angus McLean was kind of talking about the idea that. Buzz Lightyear the toy would actually have been like the toy of a cartoon like Sunday morning TV show spin-off of the movie. Mm. I think that's the way to think about it. Like 
Buzz, the Buzz Lightyear we know is an exaggerated version of the character in this movie. I think they still track, like the the character in this film goes on a very similar journey to the uh, character in Toy Story. It's all about like learning to work in a team and like not being so self centered, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Kind of yeah, like the Toy Story plot. Uh, although this doesn't extend to, so Zerg's in it, you know, the Zerg from yeah. the Toy Story movies. That's a, that's a really different character. Uh, yep. <laughs> and, and uh, the choices they make with Zerg, I won't spoil it, but it makes sense for the story that they're telling in that movie. But then when you try to apply it to like, they made a toy out of that, it doesn't make sense at all. So... I would say the the logic of it being the movie that inspired the toy, it makes about 75% sense. And mm. the other 25% is really head-scratching. Like, what? <laughs> and I think one of the big things we love about Pixar films is the kind of creative beauty of the animation. Mm. Amon, how does it hold up compared to others? Or does it bring anything new? I wouldn't say it especially brings anything new, but it is very slick and polished, as you might expect from a Pixar production. I really, in particular, liked the scenes where Buzz is in space trying to achieve hyperspeed uh, early on in the film. Uh, on the big screen, that looks awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I the animation is just as good as you might expect from any Pixar movie. And was there any standout voice characters uh, that... Did Chris do good? Did we like Chris as a voice character? He didn't do a bad job, but it was very hard, at least for me. Like, typically when I watch an animated film and I go into an animated film with an idea of who is voicing a certain character, within 10, 15 minutes, I've forgotten that so-and-so is voicing the character because they just sort of melt into the character and... I'm just watching with, you know, even though I have an implicit knowledge that, yes, that's that's this voice, I'm not actively thinking about it. With this one, that was a bit tricky for me. Um, it did, at multiple points, I was thinking, okay, that's definitely Chris Evans, that's definitely Captain America talking right now. Um, Still. <laughs> 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 yeah. But he didn't do a bad job. I thought he was solid. I really liked Kiki Palmer's work um, as uh, one of the Hawthorns uh, in in this movie. I think the Hawthorn story arc, um, which spans... Who are the Hawthorns? So the movie takes place over... uh, There's a whole thing where he's like time traveling. So he, whenever he goes on a mission, like everybody else's life passes by, but it's only like 10 minutes for him. And right. so his commanding officer, uh, like, he passes her entire life by. And then Izzy, the Kiki Palmer character, is the mm. granddaughter of his old commanding officer that he meets up with, like, ah. in the future. Yeah. And then they team up. And I really liked that um, Hawthorne arc spanning legacies and different times. I thought that was really, really well done. And the voice work by both Uzo Aduba playing Alicia Hawthorne and then Kiki Palmer as Izzy Hawthorne. I thought that was really, really good. We should also mention that it's very rare to see black LGBTQ characters 
on screen. Um, and the fact that they did make a point of uh, including that in this film, I heard that they took it out and then we put, put it back in. I'm glad that it was put back in because I do find it to be one of... I feel of- like there's... I always see black LGBT characters. I feel like the go-to thing, anytime you have a black woman who's a best friend now, is to make her lesbian. Like, I feel like... Maybe it's TV or something, but I just feel mm. like that happens like a lot. Like, what, um, in Fresh, she's bisexual, isn't she? Like, mm. I don't know. I feel like that's... Maybe I'm just like used to watch. Maybe the certain films that I watch, TV shows that I watch, post <laughs> a lot of that. But you know what I mean. Fair play. I always find that like. But in in, in animation, but it's good that they put it back in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in animation, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I thought you know that 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 was uh, m- more meaningful than tokenistic in how they uh, put that back into the story. So so that was good too. If you want, um, I recently watched the second season of Fairfax. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really good. It's really funny. Adult animation series about like these kids in LA who are like all on the hype trend, mm-hmm. uh, hype, hype train. And one of the characters um, called um, Derica um, is Afro Latina and queer. Mm. And there's a big kissing scene in season two with Melody, voiced by, um, and it's Kiersey Clemens who voices her. And then, mm. um, what's her name from Riverdale? Camille, Camilla. Camilla Mendes. Yeah, yeah, she plays the voice of the melody. So, Clarice, just finish it up. Was there anything like voice that stood out for you or anything like that that kind of was made um, the, made it worth the price of entry? Not that you played the price. The, <laughs> Peter Son, who's the director of Good Dinosaur, uh, voices Socks! The cat. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a very funny cat. It's like a robot cat mm. who. Uh, it, like he's like, would you like me? Would you like me to offer whale sounds while you sleep? And then it just <laughs> opens its mouth and it goes, <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoyed how it types because it's just got two stiff little arms and it's always typing away like. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I liked Socks the Cat a lot. Like that's like a, like that felt very Pixar, like a really like funny, weird, cute character. Mm. Um, and also Tyke was great as well. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I was like, when did you talk about Tyke? <laughs> yeah. He yeah. had a really, he has, his character is a really good running joke about pen, which I liked. It has a really good mm-hmm. payoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. About like pens and spacesuits. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was good. Pixar just, they, they know how to render a good sidekick and so- socks is definitely that uh i got two last things to say <laughs> what <laughs> i got two last things to say um michael Cuccino's score really really good really really catchy and surprisingly to a point because i really didn't think that the score had that much impact on me when you're actually watching the film but i did find myself humming the main theme uh, as I was leaving, it's been in my head for a while. Duh, 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 duh. It was really, really good. But the other thing is this. As much as I had fun with this film, it is frustrating to me that, and, and I kind of get why, because Lightyear has the name recognition. But the fact that Lightyear got a cinema release and Turning Red went straight to streaming. And then when you consider the other uh, films centered on people of color, animation-wise, that have also gone straight into streaming. So I'm thinking of Raya and the Last Dragon, I'm thinking of Soul. Um, like, these are films that have all gone straight to streaming, and it's just frustrating because, especially given how much fun the screening was of Lightyear, just knowing how Turning Red plays out, I would have loved to have seen that with a big audience in a cinema. That is what that film deserved, and that's a little bit frustrating. 
And that was Amon's final thought. <laughs> is it, though? Oh, my gosh. My yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <We're joking. laughs> but am I? I'm waiting for him to give his thing, verdict and then give us three more thoughts. <laughs> I would never do that, Hannah. <laughs> okay. Um, no, but seriously, if there's anything more that you want to say, I'm not going to stop. I'm you, please. Done. But is it that you suddenly think, because you do it, and then you suddenly think of something else, you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> That's what I do sometimes. Oh, believe me, I'm aware. (laughs) Exactly. See, there we go. Mm -hmm. Okay, on that note, uh, screen, stream, or skip? Clarice. Uh, Yeah, I would say, ironically, stream, like the other Pixar movies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on? Mm, I'm going to say screen. I did have a good time with this one. And one more thing. Um, there's the... <laughs> no, uh, screen. Uh, and I think I will wait to stream it. <laughs> Bad play. Uh, okay, right. So, from Steve Rogers to Thor. <laughs> uh, it's Spotted. Hello again. Sorry I'm late, Mr. Epnesty. Not late at all. Spiderhead. We're proud of our work. Your presence in this facility, while technically a punishment, is a privilege. Where have you been? Drug study? In science, we have to explore the unknown. They've been testing me up and down. A lot weirder stuff than usual. This is new frontier stuff here. Before we begin, I need your permission to administer Dan 40. This place can really mess with your head. Drip on. Acknowledge. Drip on. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Yeah, acknowledge. Let's do this. Spider head. Spider head. Uh, here's some drugs. <laughs> <laughs> In your body. <laughs> yep. Those are the looks. Very accurate. Uh, Two inmates form a connection while grappling with their pairs in a state-of-the-art penitentiary run by a brilliant visionary who experiments on his subjects with mind-altering drugs. Directed by Joseph Kaczynski of uh, Top Gun Maverick fame, with a screenplay by Rhett Reese and Paul Vernick, who wrote Deadpool, right? Yes? Yep. Based off the New Yorker short story Escape from Spiderhead by George Saunders, it stars Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, Journey Smollett, Tess Holbrook and BB Bencourt. Uh, and this is on Netf- Netflix. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to be honest. Like I saw the trailer for this, and I thought it was just going to be like you know how Netflix just likes to put an action movie on it on its service mm-hmm. like every two weeks, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it always has like Chris Hemsworth or somebody like that in it. Um, I mean, Amon, were you were you at all surprised? by did it seem surprising, like in terms of the general stuff that Spider like that Netflix tends to put out? A little bit, but in a good way. Um, you know, this is definitely a little bit more cerebral than your typical Netflix offering, um, and I appreciated that. I think the story goes to some interesting places, um, and I really liked the dynamic between Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller's characters in particular. Um, I think Chris Hemsworth, of all the Avengers, he's probably had the best um, non-Marvel 
output, which is not to say like all of his work has been great in that regard, but I just think in terms of performance level, he's always, he's all, in terms of a performance level, he's almost always done something interesting. I think of Bad Times at the El Royale. I think about Ghostbusters. I think about Vacation. In all of those movies, he's got a certain sense of comedic timing. In Ghostbusters especially, I think he's fantastic in that regard. And so to see him bring that or part of that persona to this character who is who, who who has got a lot more going on beneath the smile and beneath the comedic bits, which he definitely does have in this film. I thought that worked really well. I think about that fucking Mike Hat joke <laughs> <laughs> every day. <laughs> I mean, Hannah, I like so. What I find interesting is that. I think I'll I'll share my opinion quickly. I think this movie is great. It's really really great as long as it's following the actual plot line of the original short story. Like they that one has a different ending, which I will say the ending of the short story is much better. It's like fucking bleak, but it's great. And for me the movie starts to fall apart literally the second it stops doing the actual short story. <laughs> I mean, Hannah, what did you think about like the way that the this actual like central concept carries over for the for the length of an entire feature length movie. I felt it it had like it has a good initial thing, but it just kind of became very holy. Like I just felt like there was just nothing underneath it all. There was a lot of things that weren't explained and just really overly simplistic about something that seems quite quite complicated. Um I felt like there was lots of bits missing for me and um, and, you know, it's just, like, also quite obvious as well, like, where it's going to go, who this person is, like, the Mike, the, the Jeff character and stuff like that. It just, it just felt, like, half-baked a bit to me. Um, but it's interesting because you talk, we're going to talk next week about, like, The Black Phone, mm. which is also an ad- adaptation of a short story. Mm. And I read the, sh- I ha- and this thing, maybe I need to read Spiderhead, the short story, but I read this short story after I watched read after I saw the butt phone and like it's it's it, it's actually you know I'll save that for review next week but I think it was very well done um and how to expand on things without while well, staying true to the story so from what you've said there it seems like they've expanded in it in a way that doesn't doesn't continue the essence or carry through the essence from the book and I think that's the important part but for me it became a bit like I don't know just like empty calories <laughs> yeah because I'm trying not to because I think like the short story is it's very self-contained and it's very like it, it's written in a way that you almost couldn't adapt it into film because it's too it's too yeah. like anti-Hollywood in a way and this Maybe is obviously that's why meant to shouldn't. be <laughs> exactly and this is obviously meant to be like a like at the end of the day kind of a fun action e-movie even though it's really a lot less actiony than the stuff I usually that I thought this was going to be, I thought it was going to be one of the, you know, the Netflix things where they, they run around and they shoot at each other. Um, I I was interested, Amon, what did you think of, like, the the production design or, like, the look of this island that they're all in? Because I thought that was, it was kind of cool, this, like, place that they built for, for all these people to be in. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really slick. Um, and 
in some ways that's not surprising because as you say this was directed by Joseph Kaczynski we've just seen how great he is at the visual side of things with Top Gun Maverick and the interiors of this place where of Spiderhead which is the place where all these um, criminals reside um, it does look really really cool so and then even uh, in the scenes that we see uh, in the in the surrounding island um, even that looks really beautiful as well um, see that that's what didn't work for me as well like I feel like this is supposed to be this like psychological thriller type situation mm-hmm. and and I think about something like Ex Machina which is similarly like you're in this place in like a gorgeous landscape but like there's a real tension there like it's it's like there's like there lacks like a clinical element of it like they have characters there. The first bit, they introduce this character, this, like... They introduce this character, and it's, like, explained that he's, like, a really savage, like, prisoner and stuff like that, and then nothing comes from it. And it's, like, well, it's not scary to live there. Like, it doesn't... It just feels like, oh, cool, let's chill out. Like, the food that she makes, like, the character of Journey Smollett, who, again, I feel like, again, as a character, really not really much there. But, like, she's making these, like, gorgeous cuisines. Like, why is she making all this gorgeous foods? What's about her that makes her be able to do this? And, like... It, it lacks that kind of tension of like, it doesn't feel like a prison, but we should be reminded that it is. And it doesn't do the job of like creating that tone and the atmosphere. Atmosphere. It's just like too nice. It's like, yeah. And I, and I know they keep saying it, but they keep saying like, don't tell me this, show me this. Show mm. me that it feels like somewhere where like, you know, they're staying there, but there is that edge. There's no, this is what it is. There's, it just lacks the edge required to make you think, like, to make you kind of, like, suspicious. And, it, yeah, that for me, that just what really just didn't work for me at, at all. And I just felt like, oh, God, this is just, like, two, two bros. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Like, I did feel like it's a place, as, especially as you start to learn more details about what's really going on, it becomes clear that all the prisoners there are basically being swallowed by their own guilt. Um, so I didn't feel a need to make that outwardly explicit, and I did sort of still get a sense of that while watching the film. If that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't get any of that. I didn't feel like they were. I thought they were just like, oh, cool, chill, having a good time. Oh, I gotta fuck someone. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like it. Just yeah, that didn't. I just wanted to feel ner- like like te- I just wanted to feel like uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I, there was not a point where I really felt uncomfortable at all. Mm. How about you, yeah, I kind of, I kind of got it in this this setup because the whole tension. I felt the tension for me is why would a why would a bunch of people willingly want to stay somewhere that has quite low security? Which I think was an interesting premise, but like the answer to it is not really that satisfying. Which again comes back to the point that I think this was great until it stopped doing the short story it was based on. Um, um, I guess before we wrap up, I mean, Hannah Ramon mentioned Chris Hemsworth being great, but I, what we, do you have any other comments on performances in this? I mean, he's trying to be like, I don't know. I, I mean, it didn't stand out for me, to be honest. I mean, there, I think... I will say this, I think maybe the best scene I saw Chris Hemsworth do was the final scene, like the final bit that we see him in. That for me was like the best moment of it in his character. But there's also something about like, I don't know, I just didn't believe that he was this scientist. (laughs) 
I didn't believe that he's this like guy like does a thing. They, Maybe it's, he's they too put glasses on him. <laughs> he's just like, oh, we'll put the glasses on. Now I'm serious. It's like <laughs> I can see the vein in your arm, dude. Like, and I get it's part of his thing to be like thing, and I suppose you could base it on like some tech bros or something like that. But I, I, I didn't really believe it. Um, I was like questioning Miles Teller's like mullet <laughs> the entire time, <laughs> and yeah, like it's yeah, I just felt like. I like Miles Teller a lot, but there was something missing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the character or something, but it just did nothing. And then Journey Smollett, like, wasted. <laughs> She's so good. I love her, but I just feel like this this didn't really give her anything much. Sometimes, like, say something like Jesse Buckley in Men, mm. where it can be a completely underwritten character and needs much work and there's no back, much backstory to it, but the performance is, like, there and she's the lead, so you can kind of get away with it. But because she's, like, a supporting character, it also just felt like, oh, there's not enough meat to this role for her to give it a performance and she's not in it enough because it's clearly more of a two-hander and then she's, like, the, like, his, like, emotional, you know, pull, right? It's like... Oh, you know, it just feels like very basic. <laughs> mm. Well, that brings us to so it's only stream or skip for this. Amon, what's your judgment? It's a stream for me. Uh, I've I've mostly dug this one. Um, I do think Jenny Smollett as well. Um, in the screen time she was given, she was really really effective. Um, when the see when the theme of self forgiveness comes to the fore, especially. It resonates with her character the most for me. So, so yeah, stream. Hannah. Oh, no, skip. Enjoy your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that I would say stream. I think it was an interesting enough idea, but I maybe would want to just read the story instead. (laughs) No, that's what I want to do now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm also intrigued about what the actual story is. Well, um... From spider head to getting head, it's pleasure. <laughs> Saucy. Pictures up. Are you ready? Yep. Action. Hi there. Hi. What is your date of birth? 27th of April, 1999. Do you know what you're here for? Yes. Go ahead, tell us about yourself. I want to be the best. No, 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 the leg, no. The foot, and open the knee. All right, elbow like this, and then for the butt shot. Guys, look at you, you got a little butt on you. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do it on the the channel that you watch pornography on. So this is, this is pleasure. Uh, Bella Cherry arrives in Los Angeles with dreams of becoming an adult film star, but she soon learns that fame won't come easy as she harnesses her ambition and cunning to rise to the top of this mesmerizing and singular world. Directed by Nina Tyberg, who co-wrote the screenplay with Peter Modesch, it stars Sofia Capel, Ravika Ann Roysel, Evelyn Clare, Chris Cock, Dana Damond, and Kendra Spade. Who a lot, most of the stars who are not Sofia Capel in this movie are uh, real life figures from the world of porn. Um, Chris Cock is not his real name. <laughs> 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 Sorry to break it to everybody. I remember um, saying, I remember 
because I do remember it now that Mon that we saw it together. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at the show at the end things. I was like Chris Cock, Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I apparently, love it. Apparently, well, I read in some review, apparently that's where it comes from. That's yeah. That's where he got the name. Yeah. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like Chris Cock, Chris Cock. They do that a yeah. lot of porn stars. They're like, do a version of a name and then just like sexualize yeah. it. It's like parody, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know where, where to start with this. Um, that's a great question. How many porn stars did you know? <laughs> <laughs> At least six. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, for yeah. real, that's what I liked about it. It's like, I don't know, I, can, I will happily admit that I watch porn. I, uh, I, I watch it online and I use certain sites and there are some of the figures on there. That I was like, oh, I know that girl. Oh, I know that, I know that guy. Oh, I've, I've, I've orgasmed to that person. <laughs> I mean, Hannah, but how do you think, like, on a whole, because, so, Nina Thaipag originally came from a space of being an anti-porn activist, and she was like, okay, well, let me be serious about this and, like, actually look and investigate the porn industry, and I think the more that she went into those spaces and, and talked to people, she made a short film. And then from that short film comes this feature-length movie. And how do you think this feature-length movie, like the position it takes on porn and an indus- and the industry as a whole? Yeah, I really, really appreciated it. Because I think there is something, as women, watching porn, you feel guilty about it. Because it seems to be like, you're, you're not, if you're feminist, you don't watch porn, you don't agree with it. But I think there's the idea, how are we, how are a lot of us supposed to learn about sex? Because you don't see it explicitly in film. Like there's not a conversation around it. It's such a taboo subject that actually for me growing up, I really felt this because it, for me, you know, in my 20s growing up, like porn has been in such an, an educational forum for me to understand the different ways and ways you can pleasure yourself with a man, all these different things. And actually, but there is that element of, there are an exploitative angles of it because there's all these other things. Because we look at it, the videos and, you know, there's like some of the stuff that you see on there. And I think it explores it a little bit in this film. I mean, there's a particular scene that I found quite harrowing to watch. I think we all did. But mm-hmm. that juxtaposed with a scene. The difference of when a woman director takes control of a scene and when men do and this lack of safe space. And I think it shows you the kind of myriad ways that people in the sex industry can work the exploitative nature of it, but also the, the kind of beauty in it and the kind of empowerment that women, some women have by being a part of this industry. Because again, you know, there's a lot of, it's easy to tie it up. And that's not saying things like sexual trafficking isn't a reality, you know, exploitation, child, all these ele- nasty elements. But there is a pocket of the entertainment industry where women are empowered to make these decisions to be part of these, in these productions and I haven't hopefully gained more control, but historically they've not been in charge, right? They've, they've, they've been, you know, they talk about like how women actually are probably the most paid, as we find in this film, women are paid the most. It's one of the few industry where women actually earn more than men. But then it's like, who owns it afterwards? Who owns the copyright? Who, you know, how do these things get reproduced? Especially when gone, you know, if they get to a video and it goes on Pornhub where people can actually, it's free and then Pornhub makes all the money. So, sorry, it's a long winded way, but I feel like, this is try to re- do a like a non like similarly to good luck to you, Leah Grande. It's trying to approach it where it's like non judgmental and, and, and see why women why want to get into it, how they feel about it, but also the ups and downs that come with it, and how actually 
you know, like acting. <laughs> it's not as like, you know, it's not as, it's, it's not as Hollywood as we like to believe it is, you know what I mean? It's a struggle and sometimes there can be nefarious individuals that you meet on the way, but it also can be lovely people who kind of support you. And I think that's what it really captures the humanity within the industry that people watch around the world, whether they like to believe so or not. So that's what I quite enjoyed about it. Yeah, I I agree. And I think like what I appreciated the most about it is you know, when people say, like, sex work is work, I feel like people sometimes just say it to, like, sound supportive. And it's like, no, but sex work, like, it is work. <laughs> yeah. And I like that this movie, like, really frames it like this is an industry and it's like any other industry, like, workers get exploited because of of capitalism and because they work for companies. And it's not it's not about, like, the nature. It's not about the fact that it's porn. Is the fact that it's a job and it's an employment yeah. and like all industries are exploitative. And it's like there's a thing about, I, I guess, because, you know, porn is so, is kind of very uh, like in the spotlight and it's very vulnerable in that way that every time she goes to a porn shoot, there's this, this whole like uh, thing about having to answer all these questions. Like, do you know what you're about to do? Like, consent to the camera like three times sign this form like yeah. let's get all this evidence but you realize at the end of the movie it's like this stuff is not for the safety of the performer it's for the company to protect itself if anything goes wrong and it's like it's those simple things that i think like are not the way that porn is typically talked about or thought of but it's so important in understanding like what i think sex workers are talking about when they talk about like their rights it's like they're talking about employment rights and it's it's really no different to when anyone else is talking about employment rights um anyway so um Amon I I wondered what you thought about like the this main character Linnea and like her journey through the film how that's framed yeah I'm in two minds about it because I think she's an effective POV in terms of learning about the industry, the ins and outs, the all the difficulties which you and Hannah have just eloquently outlined. Um and I, I thought all of that was done really well. The difficulty I found with this character is that she's still a bit of a cipher. I mean Hannah, you were talking about it earlier in terms of learning about why she would choose to do this. I don't feel we do. And I feel like to a point that is the intent of the film, of the director, but that doesn't change the fact that because that is the way they decided to go, at times I found it difficult to grapple with the character because they don't really give us anything in terms of why she chooses to do what she do. What she does, I think. I think there's a line alluding to. I think there's a line asking that question, and she just says, "Like you know, I, I like to fuck." I think is the answer. That's it. Can I just push it back on you? Yeah, go ahead. So we just talked about Nancy. Do you not think that you're being a bit Nancy here? In the sense of like, why does Leo Grande do it? We Why do we need it? Why does anyone want to do it? Like, Leo Grande, we don't really get a reason for why he does it, do we? We just get that he likes to enjoy it. He enjoys it. He enjoys talking to people and that type of thing. But it's not like he's like got a stepping stone. But then like... The, I don't think we need her to say because isn't it just like why should you know why you want to be a model like do you know what I mean like I just why do you like, want to work in Tesco's <laughs> yeah I just, I feel like I understand Leo Grande or 
Leo Grand as a character more than I understand Linnea in this movie. Um, but in terms of the performance of it all, like I think, um, yeah, I think Sophia Capella is fantastic uh, in this movie. Um, really bringing out the naivety, but also the competence of Linnea as the film progresses. I think she's sensational. And obviously the commitment that she displays here is uh, next level. What I really liked about it, as you said, there's a lot of real life actors in it. I think this is the beauty of the film, is the naturalism of it. And when she comes in, she feels, you know, she's the actor. She's like the only actor mm. in it. And it feels like, she, you know, I, I couldn't tell whether she was or not. And I think that's when you, when you get someone who matches the intensity and the kind of the minimalism and just the reality of it, that really works well. Because I think, again, when we've seen porn on the screen reflected, it's always kind of like glamorized, romanticized. I mean, like, Boogie Nights. Like, <laughs> I can love that film. I love it. But it's like a very romantic idea of porn. Um, you know, People versus Larry Flint. Everything's quite heightened and quite dramatic. Whereas this doesn't need to do that. It's like, this is, this is just normal. And I think it's that kind of matter-of-factness, the mundanity of it. I think it captures it so well. And having the real actors, and you really feel like that authenticity. I mean, there's a Britain bit where, like, you know, Chris Cock is talking about, like, the character is talking about, like, how he doesn't earn as much because he's black. And, like, things like that. These conversations that happen, as you're saying, about the industry, I think that really worked. And I think, you know, there was a point where it was like, could adult actors, adult entertainment figures, could they transfer into, the main, like, main screen and stuff? And I like that this gives an opportunity to show that they are actors, they're performers. Mm. And actually, you know, they can perform doing sex, but actually if you give them the right material you can get something out of it. I mean, who was it? Was it James Dean? Who did that film with Lizzie Lohan written by Brett Easton Ellis? What was it called? The Canyons, is that it? Mm. So, you know, what's her name? Sasha Gray. Um, Rocco. He was in Rocco. There was a documentary actually about that guy. Um, but he's like in the 80s and 90s. And he was in a few, he was in a few um, with Catherine Brillat. He was in Romance and that one. So like, I don't know. I think it kind of what I like about it. It like shows respect to every all the people, even and even when they had like real life, like the agent things. What I liked about it, obviously, as an agent, everyone wants to be. What's the kind of girl? What is it? Everyone wants to be so and so's girl, like the main agent. Oh, Spiegler. Spiegel Spiegel's girl? girl, like a Spiegel girl. Mm. And even that, I love the way it's still a bit like this is a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, the competitive edge of it as well, I think that was kind of, like, really captured in a very humane way. Yeah, definitely. This would make a really... <laughs> the sauciest triple bill. Pleasure, Red Rocket, Sweat. Um, Red Rocket for obvious reasons, but Sweat, there's a lot of... There's a lot of similar themes in terms of people who have a certain persona for their online uh, work and the actual sort of, you know, when they're doing their job and then their real life um, persona. And I feel like also, that... Yeah, I agree. And also the fact that it is like that very mundane, like naturalistic, like it's exactly, it's like that sort of tone. Like you you kind of like the, the, the balance between realism and fiction. Mm. Like, you know, it toes that line with real people and all that. I don't know how many real people were in Sweat, but I think she was like a first time, um, the actress who plays, um, oh God, I forgot her name, but the, you know, mm. the fitness instructor. Mm -hmm. 
she was an actress, but she hadn't had much experience, I don't think. Mm. But she really captured what it was like. Yeah, mm. I love that. Oh. Yeah. The supporting cast in this film were really, really good too. Um, I liked Zelda Morrison as Joy in particular, um, who initially is friends with Bella, but then things go awry. And let's just leave it at that. <laughs> and the decidedly like feminine perspective, that's what I think is also important. Like, you know, again, what type of films have we seen about the porn industry? Mm. And compared also to like adult material, which is a great TV series that Hayley Squires mm. starred in. But having, considering it's a female like world predominantly, like it made sense to have this from that perspective rather than, you know, I don't know. I just feel like all the times this is what I wanted. And I think the direction of it was just exactly what it needed as well. I, I thought it was just, yeah, phenomenal film. Mm. Yeah, agree. Well, that brings us to uh, screen, stream, or skip. Hannah. See, I'm saying screen, and now two of the films I've said have been sex positive. So, like, have a sex positive weekend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on. it's not an adult cinema, so do not bring your tissues. It's not that sort of cinema anymore. There might be some, but they're not around anymore. Naughty cinemas aren't around anymore. So. None of that, please. Thank you for getting in the stalls. <laughs> Thank you for that, Hannah. <laughs> it's the truth. They used to be adult XXS cinemas where people used to go jack jack one off in in communal jacking off. <laughs> That's how it used to be. That is information. Did you know that? That's how they also they used to screen like cinema like private members clubs like Stringfellows and stuff like that, they got licenses to be able to screen dirty films because it was private members and that's how they first showed adult films back in like the 70s and shit. This is information that I did not know until 30 seconds ago. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> I'm on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say stream. Um, I think this is really good i think the performance is exceptional um but yeah i probably think stream is the way to go especially given <laughs> the graphic nature of some scenes uh there are a couple of walkouts in our sundance london screen i'm not sure if you remember hannah but within 10 minutes i think we got like two walkouts uh, oh god get over <laughs> god people just need to like people are just fucking conservative and it's like annoying <laughs> i'm you... confused as to why you would go to a movie that is about the porn industry and be like, oh my god, there's yeah. sex in this? Mm. <laughs> but also, it's normal. Like, sex is normal. Like, why are people okay to see people get, like, will happily sit in a film where people get raped or they get murdered and all these things, but they won't sit in a film about sex? Like, nothing in this film was grosser than things that I've seen or like more harrowing or you know there was a really harrowing scene which is awful but like I've seen just as bad things as like in fucking horror movie horror movies and all this but people sit through that but they won't sit through something because there's like simulated sex maybe some of it slightly I don't know a bit more graphic I don't know sorry I just mm. <laughs> the hypocrisy <laughs> it's a stream for me <laughs> Uh, and it's a screen for me. I thought it was great. Well, uh, now that we've stopped talking about hot stuff, <laughs> it's time for a hot, hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. 
This week, more than 200 Hollywood writers, directors and producers signed an open letter pledging to depict gun violence responsibly on screen after the recent mass shootings in Buffalo and uh, in Texas. Uh, Released on Monday, the hashtag show your safety pledge requests that creators be mindful of on-screen gun violence and model gun safety best practices when including such images in movies and TV shows. Uh, Some of the signatories included J.J. Abrams, Debbie Allen, Judd Apatow, Adam Brody, Kathleen Kennedy, Jimmy Kimmel, Adam McKay, Janet Mock, Marty Noxon, Shonda Rhimes, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and Amy Schumer. Uh, So, I guess, Hannah, I mean, what are your thoughts on, I think, just the fact that, like, Hollywood would, people in Hollywood would feel compelled enough to, like write this letter in the first place and 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 think that like the depiction on tv in tvs and movies is enough of a factor in 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 gun violence as a whole that they felt it necessary to do this if that makes sense well my my thing is i think they're picking the wrong thing to try and change if they want to make an impact within the within what they can do because fundamentally as we all know The rest of the world all watches the same movies, but the difference is we have stronger gun laws in the UK, on the UK, Australia, or all these other places across Europe, which means mass shootings aren't happening, right? So people are saying that we're no different. Americans aren't, like, I mean, they're a bit special, some of them, but, like, they're exactly the same human beings with the same issues that we have. They just have easier access to guns, and that's the issue. My issue isn't, and I feel like the idea that you're saying we need to be more responsible on how we need to show gun responsibility in film, to an extent, but that's not the reality of the world. Like, if cinema is supposed to reflect the world, it has to show the bad stuff. Otherwise, I mean, how are you going to, like, you're going to call for, like, gun safety in, you know, Departed? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, how does this, or like, John Wick, where you've got a gun sommelier? Like, <laughs> my favorite scene sure. in the franchise, by the way. What? That's my favorite scene in the franchise when he goes. That's my least favorite scene in the oh. franchise because for me that's like making guns look really fucking cool. Like that's like saying, "Oh, look at this, Somalia," and I feel like that is romanticizing, glamorizing guns. I find it quite an issue. My issue, if they want to focus on something, it's not about using using the gun. It's about the aftermath. We 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 have all these action films. We've created this PG thirteen twelve A rating system, and the way people get around it. Hollywood and all these studios get around it is when it comes to like, the censorship, comes to BBFC, the AAMP, whatever it is, Motion Picture Association, they're saying, you can't, if you want to get this lower age range, you can't show like pooling blood or you can't show like blood coming out. So, how many films have we watched that's got a 12A rating? Well, we've still, we talked about this before. How many films have we watched with a 12A rating? And they don't show, like, when, you know, Rocket's killing someone with a gun. He says, oh, look at that gun. I'm going to steal that gun. It's like, we don't see the results of it. If we saw the results of what, like, you know, an AK-47 impact, and I don't know if you've ever searched for this online, if you've ever seen what an AK-47 gun wound looks like, you'd be freaking the fuck out and it get, like, an 18 secret rating. So my issue is, like, show the aftermath. Show how horrible it is. Show the pain and the gruesome torture of being hit. And that might show have, give people a bit more empathy for why you shouldn't use guns and why it's not just shoot, bang, bang, and it's like, oh, you're down. It's like, no, it's really fucking painful. So my, things are, my thoughts are on that, really. 
Yeah, no, it's a tricky one for me. Um, for some of the reasons you say, like, I guess that in the spirit of it, genuinely, there's a lot that I agree with, but putting that into practice, like the films which I consider, the films which I immediately thought of when I thought of this, were the John Wicks. And I do really enjoy that scene less for how it romanticizes guns, but just for the repartee between John Wick and I think it's Peter Serafin, and it's the guy on the other side who's selling the guns. Um, but there's certain films and there's certain franchises where that's just what it is. You say it, doesn't it? But I do yeah. think cinema has this effect. If it can affect people to do good and have a different yeah. example of people, it can affect people to do bad. I know it's not cool or like you shouldn't put a stock on those things. I do think a million other things need to change mm-hmm. before Hollywood has to do that. But at some point we have to just accept the stuff that we watch on screen. If we constantly see Arab people as terrorists, yeah. we're going to think all Arabs are terrorists. If we constantly see black people as being thugs and all this types of things, we assume, you know, mm-hmm. we create these assumptions for it. There was a thing they did, like, there was a really good, um, a piece, uh, there was a, a, a kind of investigation, a, a research thing they did where I had children who were, um, who watched the same movie, who watched the same movie or something, um, and they had, they had one movie where it had guns in it and one movie without, and they had toys in front of them. People who, kids who were watching the movie with guns in it reached for the gun while they were playing. Whereas kids who watched one without guns didn't reach for it all. So, like, it does, even from a young age, it can subconsciously. Now, if you add into all the other stuff on that, where I was like, I, I mean, we're as sane as we can be. I feel like none of us here, none of us on this podcast are likely to go, if we had the opportunity to go and buy a gun and shoot people up. But when you add into I don't know, that, Hannah, like, you look like the, the other... type. <laughs> no, honestly, like... I'm joking. I, I, even when you can go to... No, but no, it's interesting, though, because you know when some people go to, like... America or you know some countries like I think when people go to like Vietnam or Thailand you can rent you can hire a gun and do a shoot like I remember hearing about like someone getting AK-47 going on a range and shooting it you have that option go away but like for me I just never had that urge I, f- I find guns really fucking scary <laughs> I find them really scary and I'd be so scared something would happen I don't even want I don't even like holding them like sure a uh, replica of uh, Han Solo's blaster Fine, have it. No. It's fine. I'm not going to do anything. No, but I, do, I, I do agree with you in that I do find them scary. Like, I remember it's a few years back now, but I went on an international trip. I got sent to LA. Um, and it was very noticeable that everyone at the airport, every security guy was wearing a gun. Like, they had a gun. And, and you notice it immediately. Um, mm. And yeah, I remember feeling on edge. I've never been in that sort of environment before. Um, So that is a point. Like, I agree with it, again, in the general spirit of it. I just don't want it to get to a point where it's sabotaging the narrative integrity of certain films because then I feel like the cons begin to outweigh the pros. I mean, maybe in children's films, I don't know, young films where you might have a thing, maybe they could do a bit more on that if kids are going to watch it. Yeah, and because if you think about it, the kid who did the mass shooting thing—he just turned eighteen. That recent one in Texas—he mm-hmm. just turned eighteen. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Kids are watching it, and as soon as turned eighteen, they're buying a gun. So maybe it's a case of like, if it's specifically for audience. But most of the time, these places don't even. It's so funny. It's like I was. I was thinking. What was the thing? Sorry, Cleese. Also, we've spoken loads yeah. about this. So get in here. But I was thinking about. I saw this tweet yesterday. 
from this guy who created the, TV, the animated series, the Disney Channel series Gravity Falls. And he basically showed you all the things that he had to take out. Um, mm. Like all suggestions of S&P, like what things it's like, can you take out the word, like they call, there's a character called Chub Pup. And it's like, can you take out the word Chub? Because there is an, there's like a, a phallic like image of it's like, in this context, it's a chubby puppy. <laughs> like, but that's it. So it's amazing how like, <laughs> or like, can we, there was something about, just all these little random things. Mm-hmm. And then, and you realise like, you'll go to the effort to take that out. But when it comes to like, <laughs> Avengers Endgame, or like, you know, these Disney Plus series where there's so much violence and, and gun violence, uh, it's like, no, we won't take that extra measure. Do you know what I mean? Is that? Well, I, like, I, in general, agree with Hannah that I've always like like I've I remember watching the expand one of the expendables movies and being like oh this is so disturbing because it's like yeah they were like shooting off all the guns but you never saw the bullets hit anyone and I was like god that's so fucking weird that people make movies like that and so I've always like much preferred something like a John Wick movie because it's like at least there is like I don't know if there's like some sort of like basis in reality that when you shoot a gun it like it does hit somebody um but I think as well like movies to me are metaphorical and it's like it's it's the same thing with horror it's like when you people watch like Halloween and uh Friday the 13th and all this stuff it's like it's not is not out of there's not like a literal connection to to going out and taking a machete and stabbing people. I mean, you meet horror fans and they're some of the most like gentle people on earth. It's like because because a lot of the violence and the pain and the fear in movies it is it's all about emotion and metaphor and it's not about the literal thing that's happening. So like for me, I find it very weird to to literally connect gun violence on screen with gun violence in reality. Because gun violence to me on screen is not about literal gun violence. It's about the what it represents in the movie. And I think that's the thing. It's like with something like Extend- like Expendables is way more... Uh, I find that way more dangerous because it's about the ideology behind it. You know, of like, yeah, bros, like, saving America. You know, like, I find that way more harmful than a John Wick where you're like, John Wick, John Wick is is a crazy guy. Like, it's established that this is kind of not a great person. And that I don't... Because I think, like, at the end of the day, I, I can't find a concrete connection between the movies and the acts that happen in real life because... Women, women love to watch John Wick. You don't see women doing st- <laughs> any of these, right? It's like there's not a con because there's no concrete link. I think it's like, I I think on the list of things that contribute to a mass shooting happening, the fact that they may have seen X Y Z movie is like, or they may have seen a gun used in a movie. I, I think is at the bottom of the list i think what's more harmful is maybe certain cultural ideologies that that they have been co-opted to where a guy of a like a white guy of a certain age might think that they uh have certain rights to things or certain like power over stuff i think that's the maybe that's the open letter that hollywood should have been signing (laughs) like please can we deconstruct like all this toxic fucking masculinity happening that's leading to these mass shootings you know mm-hmm. yeah no i completely agree because 
what this has just reminded me of is that long-held view, again, backward view in my opinion, that video games is also a number one cause of violence because of, you know, what many video games entail, which is like shooting people down more often than not using a gun. And again, that link is very suspect in that. I think it's, I think, yeah, I look, I, I'm not saying, I don't think like, again, film, TV and videos has like, but I think it does reinforce what you said, Clarice. Like, it, it's like, if an ideology already, already exists, a cultural ideology, people can use films to reinforce that ideology or, like, that idea. So, like, you know, it's funny when The Northman came out and a lot of white people, like, white supremacists are saying, oh, look, this is like a... This is our film. This is... Rep-. You know what I mean? That sort of, like, this is for us. And it's like, that's actually not the intention of it. You know, I think people can... Like, look at Fight Club, perfect example of people complete men completely missing the point of the book and mm. the film or joker is, yeah exactly so like and but then also but joker didn't try to i don't think joker tried to create a character in the same way that yeah i don't even like fight club is far superior to joker in the sense of trying to <laughs> like li- like literally trying to see it but joker um, I mean, I'm I'm not putting Fight Club in any. I'm not putting Joker anywhere near Fight Club class. I just feel like I need to say that Fight Club is five thousand times better than Joker. Yeah, but what I'm saying it was very clear to most people and the original writer of Fight Club that it was trying to be a comment on that toxic masculinity of the sedentary nature of men and what they will do to try and feel like they've got that life back again. Whereas Joker, I think, didn't even do half the work. Didn't it didn't have any of that nuance or even even that even not even subtext like mm. on text <laughs> about like how bad it is. That's why that's why I, um push, like push back at that comparison. But yeah, I think sometimes it help. But like, again, it's not about taking guns away from cinema. It's about adding the aftermath. That's all I'm saying. It's like keep them in there, do it, have all these things, but then maybe show a bit more about the gruesome aftermath of what it means to take a life or injure someone that's my thing and if it means that you have to have a higher age rating that means to me that actually that's realistic because maybe younger people <laughs> won't have a better grasp of understanding and maybe they learn it a bit later in life but I don't know look again it's all arbitrary it's all arbitrary someone could be like a two-year-old and see what's going on like kids who survived that bloody mass shooting probably got a better understanding of gun violence than anything they could watch in a movie. So, you know, it's all good we can say this, but I don't know, it's, it's a difficult... I, I think fundamentally, <laughs> just gun yeah. responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> As Matthew McConaughey said in his speech, like, let's do that first before Hollywood, you know, tries to make it their fight. Like, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good place to end on. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and happy viewing via whatever medium is safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. And tweet us at Fade to Black Pod if you have something you'd love for us to shout out next week. Uh, you can follow us at I'm Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah Ness Flint on Instagram. And I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black.